enjoying the summer stories. Hasn't it been great? I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I love what um, Pastor Annette had to say last week and Joseph a couple of weeks ago. And um, man, it's just been so good. It's been so refreshing to hear the stories again um, in new perspectives, bringing out new insights. And I've just, I've truly, truly enjoyed it. And tonight we're going to talk about Moses. Moses. So we're going to be in the book of Exodus. So if you want to open your Bibles to the book of Exodus. Now, usually people who know the story of Moses, um, one word usually comes to mind when you say his name. Can you, what, what's that one word for you? What? Deliverer. Yep. I told Eric I was going to speak on Moses tonight and he, he just said one word, deliverer. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, so the story takes place in Exodus. I'm going to pray real quick. Father, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you for bringing us into your presence, into your house. Father, we are a people hungry for your word. Father, I give you myself tonight. Father, let my lips be your lips, my mouth be your mouth. Speak through me as your vessel and your oracle. I want only your words, only your tone. Direct us and guide us. Teach your Holy Spirit. Teach us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we open up our Bibles to Exodus, and um, the, I guess the people of God, you could say, are in Egypt. Um, in Genesis, it ends with them all moving there um, because Joseph was there and food was there and there was famine, and uh, so they had moved there. And when it opens up, it, it talks about now Joseph has, had died and all his brothers and all that generation, so time has passed, Right. Um, and the children of Israel, it says they had increased, and it says, let's see, now there arose, in verse 8, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, lest us, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens, and then they built cities. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. So here the story opens up, and God's people are being treated treacherously, right? Um, They're being oppressed. It talks about hard bondage. And then as you go on, it it talks about, now the king of Egypt told the Hebrew midwives, look, if there's a baby going to be born and it's a boy, kill it. If it's a girl, she can stay alive. So now they're even trying to kill their babies, right? So this, I mean, this is a crazy time, right? What's going on with God's people? And so, you know, some of us might think these crazy times are like this today. You know, babies are still being killed, right? I mean, people are treating the church treacherously. Um, in some places, the church is oppressed. You know, America isn't the only place where the church is. Nod your heads. Are you awake tonight? Okay. Yes. So, you know, the church is is being treated like this too. So as we read through these things, I want you guys to kind of relate to this because we're talking about the people of God, right? That's who we're talking about tonight. And then we're talking about Moses. So it says that the Egyptians feared the children of God's numbers. Wasn't that what the devil fears today? Oh yeah, he doesn't want us to grow. He doesn't want us to multiply because he knows what will happen if we do, right? He is done. He is absolutely done, right? In each one of our lives, he should be done already. Right. But the more we grow, the more people we talk to, the greater our influence becomes, the less authority he has. He doesn't really have any authority other than what people give him. You know what I mean? So the more we grow, the more he fears us. 
So same for today. He fears our numbers, so he oppresses us to limit our numbers. Because, I mean, who wants to be like the church, right? I mean, people look at us and they're like, you know, they think we're weak. They think we're nothing, right? And then, and then we get persecuted. Who wants that? So this is all Satan's plan to limit the church, right? But little does he know we don't need great numbers to do great things, right? But even in the face of harshness, um, God's people grew and multiplied, Exodus tells us. And it says, the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. I love that verse. I'm just kind of like, bring it on, Satan. If any of us has prayer, when we enter into prayer, those are the things that should be coming out of our mouth. It doesn't matter what they do, we will grow and multiply, right? We will become great. Well, they were in dread of the children of Israel. They didn't want to lose them as slaves. They didn't want them to join their enemies because they didn't want to lose, right, their their richness, their position, their time. And it was at this dark time in, in um, the children of God's history that Moses was born. In fact, in Acts chapter 7, verse 20, when Stephen is telling this story, he says, at this time, Moses was born. Isn't that kind of exciting? Because now you already know the story, probably most of you. So it's exciting if you know the story. If not, hold on. So at this time, Moses was born. So let's pick it up in, in um, Exodus chapter 2. It says in verse 2, a woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a healthy child, she hid him three months. Why? Because they were supposed to kill all the male children, right? You know this story gets repeated when Jesus is born, right? Remember how Herod gives the command to kill all male children in Bethlehem two years and younger? Yeah. So what happened, what Satan does once, he does again, right? It says, but when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch. Where had she heard about that? Noah, right? Passing down the story of Noah, ark, you know, he, God told Noah, cover it with pitch inside now, right? And so here she does that with Moses. It's just, I just find that interesting. You know, even she was leaning on something from generations before. So that's a lesson to us. You know, we're going over these summer stories, not just because they're good stories, but because they're lessons for us today. You know, what they did, what they had, we can do and have. So let's continue on. So it says that she put the child in this little ark, right? And she put it in the river's bank. Well, you know, the daughter of Pharaoh comes down to bathe at the river. Remember, these babies are not even supposed to be alive by the Pharaoh's order. But Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the river to bathe. Her, her and her maidens walked along the riverside and she saw the ark and she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children. So she knew right away that they're trying to hide a kid, right? Then his, and then um, Moses' sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Like giving her the suggestion. You know, don't you love this? And so Pharaoh's daughter says to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. And so then Pharaoh's daughter says to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I'll give you your wages. So now she's getting to raise her own child and get paid for it. I just love how God works. <laughs> so, you know, these are all things that we can believe for, right? We can believe for these kinds of things. We can't limit God. God is limitless. So we got to believe him for things outside the range of what is ordinary, right? So the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. So she called him Moses saying, because I drew him out of the water. What does Moses mean? Drawn out. Drawn out. That's what the name Moses means. So... Do you know, like when I read this, I can't help but think, especially when I read Moses' name being drawn out, that we are drawn out. 
You know, you turn to the New Testament and you read Paul's revelations and you read him say things like, come out and be separate. That's us. We're supposed to be separate from the world, right? That we, and then Jesus says, you know, that, that we're drawn, drawn out. If, if we lift up Jesus from the earth, all men will be drawn unto me, right? Those kinds of things. Jesus said the Father will draw them to him, away from the world, right? To him. And that's us. We've been drawn out just like Moses was drawn out. And then Moses, it says that he, he gets raised in Pharaoh's house. Amazing, right? He, he learns all their ways, all their customs. He has all these riches. So he gets raised in the midst of the world. He's not taken out of it, right? To be safe. He's not taken out of the world. He's raised right in the midst of the world, what we would call the world, <laughs> right? I mean, a lot of times when we talk about the world or when speakers talk about the world, they'll use Egypt as an example. They'll use that word, right? He was raised right in the midst of the world, and yet he was kept safe. He wasn't taken out of it. You know, Jesus prayed in John 17, I think it's verse 15, he prayed to the Father and he said, Father, I don't pray that you take them out of the world. I pray that you keep them from the evil one. And that's what happened for Moses, and that's what Jesus prayed for us, okay? So we'll keep reading. Um, so he gets older. If you turn to, we're going to go back and forth between some New Testament and Old Testament, but in Hebrews chapter 11, do you know Moses gets mentioned in the New Testament? He gets mentioned by Stephen in Acts chapter 7 and um, here in Hebrews 11, which we call the Hall of Faith, right? All these famous people that by faith did what they did. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 It says, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So what does this mean? Well, when when Moses came of age, it says that he, we'll turn back to Exodus chapter 2. It says that, now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, verse 11, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that. You ever done that? This way? Moses was a man just like you. You ever done that? Look this way and that? Anybody looking? Yeah, he did that too. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian. And he hid him in the sand. That is bold. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. So then Moses leaves. He leaves Egypt, right? Well, if you turn to um, this same story is told in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen is giving the account of it. And this is what Stephen has to say. But when he was, let's see, Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. But they did not understand, right? And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting, and he tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did wrong to his neighbor pushed him away. 
gets a little bit more pointed right here, right? Pushed him away saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Any Christian ever done that to you? You're trying to just minister the word to them and encourage them in love. And who do you think you are? Get away from me. Yeah, I mean, it's happened to me. I know it's probably happened to you. It happened to Moses. So we're in good company. For he says, so the next day, let's see, but he who did wrong says, you, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? And at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian. So he left and went to the land called Midian. So here he is, 40 years old. He grew up in Pharaoh's house, but he knows he's a Hebrew, right? His mom still raised him when he was little. I'm sure she sowed the word into him because Hebrew says by faith. How does faith come? By hearing the word, right? So by faith, he did all those things, which means he had to have heard the word. So his mom had to have taught him the word at a young age, right? So here he is, 40 years old, and he wants to be the deliverer that he knows he's called to be. But he tries to do it on his own, right? Some of us can relate. There's things that we know God wants us to do in our lives. There's people we know he wants us to minister to, and we do it on our own. We get out there ahead of God. We say things. We think that they'll receive, and they don't right? They reject us. And so, you know, you're in good company. Don't worry about it. Um, so he tries to help on his own, his way. And of course it doesn't work. And not only doesn't, does it not work, they completely reject him, the Hebrews. So he goes away to the land of Midian for 40 years. For 40 years, he goes out there and, um, he marries, gets married. Um, and then we turn to, let's see, Exodus chapter three. So it says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. So he's 80 years old, and he's tending the flock of his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And it goes on, and in verse 2 it says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So here's the story of the burning bush, right? This bush is burning, but yet not being consumed. And he turns aside to look at it, because he's, this is amazing. What, why isn't this bush burning up? And God speaks to him from this burning bush. So the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, verse 4 of Exodus 3, and God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. (laughs) And I probably butchered those names, but so would you. So, now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. That was a whole lot in a little bit of space. Like, God is, you know, if somebody talks really fast and tells you their whole plan right away, all within a few verses, they're pretty excited about it, right? I would think God is pretty excited about this plan. Let's look at, let's stop for a minute and just look at this plan. Let's look at what God is saying. It says, one, in verse chapter one, um, it says Moses was tending. So the first thing I want to point out is Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law. He wasn't sitting around doing nothing, waiting for the plan, right? He was busy. He was serving. He was working and for another man, right? The New Testament tells us you'll never, it says to be faithful in another man or you'll never get your own, right? 
There were so many times in the old, in, throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, that um, the plan of God for someone's life came to them while they were working. Remember Elisha was out in the field with oxen when Elijah came to him and said, come with me, right? The disciples were fishing when Jesus said, come follow me, right? So they were working. God will always prosper the work of your hand, and he'll never expect you to do nothing, right? So he was working. When God showed up, he was working, okay? So the angel of the Lord appears to him. So one, he was tending the flock of his father-in-law. Number two, God knows your name. He said, Moses, Moses, from the bush. God knows your name. You may be someplace where you did not think you would be. You may be someplace far, far away from home or what you thought was home. God knows your name. And he knows where you're at because he'll appear where you're at. Right? So God knows your name. Number two, God will reveal to you who he is. He looks at Moses and he says, I'm the God of your fathers. He relates to Moses on how he how he knows who he is. Does that make sense? He tells him right away who he is and how he is to relate to him. I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham. Well, what did he do for Abraham? The God of Isaac, right? What did he do for Isaac? Right away, he starts to tell him who he is, right? So God will reveal to you who he is. And then God knows. God knows what's going on. He's not ignorant. He knows what's going on in your life and the lives of others. He knows. He says, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry. I know their sorrows. God knows. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're going through. He knows when people aren't treating you right. He sees you when you take it right, (laughs) when they're not treating you right. He knows. He knows your situation. And then God has a plan. Right? He says, I've seen all this, so I've come to deliver them. God has a plan. Am I the only one excited about this message tonight? (laughs) Everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. Take a praise break. Praise you, Lord. You are awesome. You are greatly to be praised. What you did for the Israelites, you will do for us. You are amazing. You are an amazing God. Oh, we're so excited, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this truth. You are the God, the only God, the most high God, almighty God. We love you, Lord. We love you. We love you. We love you. Amen. All right. You can be seated. You can be seated. Just want to make sure you're praising the same God I'm talking about. Right? He is a good God. God has a plan. He always has a plan. He always has a plan. He said, so I've come to do something about it. God's going to do something about your situation. He always has a plan for your situation. Right? But look at this. Next. What's the next point that God makes? He says, so I've come down. I have a plan. Verse 10. Come now, therefore, and I will send you. Last point. God needs a man. God needs a man. And you might be that man. Right? You might be the man that needs to change the situation for God. Wow. Wow, what a privilege. What an honor we have to be used by him. Amen? So God has a plan, but he needs a man. Now, I want to point out that God said all of that in seven verses. Right? Very cool. So, next, in chapter 3, 
we have man's response. Guess how many verses it takes for man to get on board with God? (laughs) 29. 29 verses later, Moses finally says, okay. Seven verses for God to lay out the plan. 29 verses for Moses to say, yes. Wow. So let's look at this response, because if it's Moses' response, it's probably been some of our responses, right? So let's look what Moses has to say. Right away, verse 11, Moses says to God, who am I? Have you ever felt like that? Maybe God has a really big plan for you. Maybe you're to change the school system. Maybe you're to change governments. Maybe you're to stand up and say something. And your first response is, who am I? Who am I? Why, would, why do you need to use me, God? I'm a nobody from nowhere. So did Moses. That doesn't make a bit of difference. Do you think God didn't know that? Do you think he didn't know who he called? He knew him. He said in verse 4, Moses, Moses. I think if he knew his name, he knew everything about him. He knows everything about you. So when you feel like, who am I that I should do this? God's response, I will certainly be with you. He just needs a man to be with him, right? To get on board and be with him, to do something for him in bodily form that he's not, he's not going to do. He needs a man. So God's response, response, I will certainly be with you. Not just I'll be with you. He backs it up with certainly. I mean, I will certainly, that to me, that, that little word certainly makes me feel a whole lot better. I don't know why, but it's like God saying, look, I will certainly, not, I, I'm, it's certain I'm going to be with you. It's absolutely certain that I'll be with you. So we go on down, and um, then the next thing Moses says is, they're going to ask me who sent me. Right? So what should I say? God says, tell them I am has sent you. Has sent me to you. I am has sent me to you. And then in verses 16 through 22, he gives him the plan. He tells him exactly how to do it. Isn't God good? You know, some of us, you know, we worry about getting the plan. But, but if we take the time, he, remember he saw the bush and he turned aside. Sometimes we just need to turn aside from our lives for a little while and get with God. And he will give you the plan. Look, if he gave Noah those detailed of instructions... He can give you detailed instructions. He can take all the guesswork out of it, right? And that's what he does for Moses. He says, okay, go, number one, gather the elders, and then tell them, right? And then he even says what to tell them in verses 16 through 22. So God has compassion on us. He's going to give us instructions. He sent us the Holy Spirit now to be our teacher, to show us things to come, right? To, to glorify the Son, to tell us, to remind us of things Jesus said, right? He's the same today as he was then. So he completely gives them the plan. And then Moses says, well, any of the rest of us would say, what if they don't believe me? Okay, let's say I tell them all of this. Now what if they don't believe me? Because let's face it, this is based on experience, right? Because those two guys that he tried to talk to when he was 40 didn't want anything to do with him, and said, who made you ruler and judge? That's why he's asking. They're going to ask who sent me, and what if they don't believe me? So you can't base what God's asking you today on your past experience. But he says today is for today. You can't do what's today, what he told you 40 years ago, 
right? I mean, we learn that's all through the scriptures too. God sometimes doesn't do it the same way twice. Even though it's the exact same situation, you still have to check in, right? Because he's Lord. He's your master. You check with him on what to do. And so what if they don't believe me? Don't base it on your past experience. And so God gives him signs. Let's look at this. But suppose they will not believe me is the very first verse in chapter four. Suppose they will not believe me. The Lord says, what is that in your hand? He says, a rod. And he says, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. I mean, a man just like us. How many of you, if you had a stick in your hand, threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, would jump back? Yeah, you're in this good company. You're just like Moses. Moses is just like you. So the Lord says to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. I might have balked here. I don't know. I might have said, Lord, you pick it up by the tail. I don't know. But anyway, he reaches out his hand and he catches it and it becomes a rod in his hand. And the God said, and God says that they may believe that the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And then he gives him another sign about his hand. He puts it in his garment and he pulls it out and it's leprous. He puts it back in his garment and it's as white as snow. I mean, it's as healthy, it's white as snow when it's leprous and he takes it out and it's completely healed again. These are amazing signs that you cannot do apart from the supernatural. So God wants you walking in the supernatural. He is willing to back you up with supernatural signs and wonders. Isn't that what we're believing? Isn't that what the prophet has said about this year? Marvels, wonders, extraordinary manifestations of the greatness of our God. That's what he wants for this year. Why? Because he cares about people. He doesn't just want to do it to prove that he's, you know, um, you know, awesome, although he is. His mind is on people, right? And those are the kinds of things that we're going to need. That's what he needed to deliver the people out of Egypt. That's what we're going to need to deliver the people out of Egypt, (laughs) right? To deliver them out of the world. And so God is willing to back us up with signs and wonders. And then he goes on and he says, if they still don't believe these two signs, take water from the river and pour it out on dry land and the water will become blood on the dry land. I mean, these are amazing, amazing things that God is promising him that he'll do. So that's the third, you know, that's the third thing that Moses has a problem with. And so then he says, well, Lord, I'm not eloquent. It's just, I'm not a good speaker. You're asking me to go speak, and I'm just not a good speaker. I mean, it's like he's pulling on any thread, like, to get out of this. Just like we do, right? And he says, I'm not eloquent. I have slow speech, and I'm slow of tongue. And you know what God says to him? Who made man's mouth? All of that can change in an instant. He's the creator. He can change anything about you. If he's sending you to deliver millions of people, he can help your mouth. It's almost laughable, isn't it? It's like how we think sometimes. And so then he goes on and says, I'll be with your mouth and teach you what you'll say. And still Moses balks and he says, please send someone else. Just send someone else. He's still not in. Can you believe this? He's still not in. And he says, please send someone else. And so God, it says that his anger gets aroused. Well, I looked up that word anger, and it's a word like, it's like, and it also also means nostrils. You ever get, do you ever around someone who gets mad and their nostrils flare? 
It's like you take that breath. That's what God did. That's what God did there. It's like he took that breath like I'm... And then he says, okay, you know Aaron, your brother? And he's like, even he's willing to send someone with you. I mean, God is just, he's got the plan. He's just going to go through with the plan. And none of your objections are going to hold up. So you might as well give in. He's sending you. There's someone he's sending you to, and you're not getting out of it. Right? And he's going to give you supernatural signs for them. And he's going to give you a mouth and wisdom that they cannot deny. That's what he says in his word. So, so then finally Moses says, okay, right? 29 verses later. But um, I just want to point out sometimes, um, I know it doesn't say this in here, but I think a lot of, a lot of us, you know, Pastor Justin, I think has been, he's been um, taught, or he, he has in a couple of service talked to us about fear of man. And he's been talking to us about fear. Because really some of what we don't do is because we're afraid. You know, Moses could have easily said all of this in, I'm afraid to go, right? And I think some of us would say, I'm afraid. I know I probably would, depending on what God's asking me to do. I have to deal with that in my own life. Like, Lord, I, who am I, right? Um, I can't do that. I've never done that before. You know, I'm afraid. That's what it boils down to. I'm afraid. And I just want to remind you first that with God for you, who can be against you? You know, and that's really what God was telling Moses, is I will certainly be with you. With God for you, who can be against you? And those of you that know the story, there is nothing that could stand up against God's plan, right? No king, no ruler. It says in the, it says, um, in the Bible that God laughs at people. He laughs at them when, when they stand up against him, when, when they, you know... And he just laughs because they're not greater than him. That's something he knows. <laughs> something we need to know. That with God for you, who can be against you? There's no one greater than him. No one greater than him. And when he's on your side, you're going to win. That's all there is to it. It's very simple, period. That's all there is to it. You will win. Making winners in life. It's about knowing your God, knowing what's yours and walking in it and being certain. You will win, period. No question mark. You are going to win. Amen? And then number two, there's no fear in love. So when we get afraid, guess what our eyes are on? My eyes are on me. They're not on someone else. It's what's going to happen to me, right? So there's no fear in love. So if I get my mind off me and get it on to them, then I can walk forward. Because if I get my mind on the fact that people are going to hell, and not only are they going to hell, but the, de- the devil is whipping them every day until they go there, I get so mad. I get, when my eyes get on them, then it's like I can, you know, like the Bible says, leap over a troop, right? Leap over a troop, run through a troop, leap over a wall. Like, nothing is going to stop me from sharing with them the truth. Because I get so mad at the devil that he is treating people like that. I get so mad. And when my eyes get on them, then there's no fear in love because I'm loving enough not to think about myself. So we just, when we get our minds on other people. Like, God is saying, I've seen the oppression of my people. Moses saw it firsthand, right? But here now Moses is just thinking about himself. Right? Instead of all those millions of people who are being oppressed. 
I mean, when you think about the number of people who are being oppressed by the devil who's a loser, who's been beaten, who you have authority over, who you can send out of their life, who you can minister the gospel to and set them free, because by the word, right, we're set free. The truth will set them free, and you have the truth. Then it rises up in you, and you become just like Moses, just like Jesus, a deliverer. Right? You go out and you deliver them from the oppression of the devil. He's oppressing them for no, with no right to oppress them. No authority to oppress them. No power to oppress them. They just don't know any better. Isn't that amazing? And you have the power to do something about it. So, we can't be afraid. We got to know God is certainly with us. And there's no fear in love. So, Moses heads out. So let's see how this goes. He's got all this now. He's made his complaints. <laughs> and God has boosted, right, bolstered him to go out and to get it done. So in Exodus 5, it says his first encounter with Pharaoh. So Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go. Pharaoh says, Who's the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Doesn't sound like a whole lot of success there. Right? <laughs> it's like, oh. I thought it was going to be easier than this. You think that's what Moses was thinking? Oh, I thought I would just walk in, tell him what to do, and he would do it. It's kind of like you want to turn around and say, uh, God, you know, you watching this? Uh, any other instructions? I thought this was the plan, right? But not only that, and then, and then the king of Egypt says in verse 4, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. So not only does he says no, he says, get back to work. You nothings, you nobodies, go back to what you were. Devil ever told you that? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are trying to get healed? Who do you think you are trying to get free? Who do you think you are acting like God? You're not God. Get back to work. Right? Yeah. That's how the devil talks. In case you're not familiar with it, that's how he talks. <laughs> and that's just like the devil. He doesn't want you to see yourself any other way. Guess what? Because he doesn't want to let you go. He likes his position over you. He wants to be your master. He wants to keep you low and laugh in God's face. That's, that's what he loves. He doesn't want to let you go. I remember Kenneth Hagin t- telling a story about um, seeing into the spirit realm one day, and he saw a demon sitting on a man's shoulder. And he called the man up, and he, he said to the demon, not the man, he said, you know you're going to have to let him go. And the demon, looked, the demon spoke to him and said, um, yeah, I know, but I don't want to. Yeah, the devil doesn't want to let people go. He wants to be their master because otherwise he's a nothing, nobody loser that Jesus, right? I'm going to keep saying that. He's a nothing, nobody loser that Jesus made of naught, took all his power, stripped him of all authority, took all of his weapons. He's got nothing. He's got nothing. He doesn't want to let you go. He's got people deceived. He doesn't want that to end. He's enjoying it, right? Because he knows if he doesn't have people, he has nothing. Absolutely nothing. So, Pharaoh says, get back to work. And then he not only says that, he's like, if they have all this work on their hands, that they can even talk about leaving here, then let's make it harder for them. 
He's like, now I want them to make the same amount of bricks and don't give them straw. Make them go get their own straw. And so and tell, tell all the taskmasters this. And so now they go back out in the field and they take the Hebrew children and they say, yeah, you, you're, the quota is the same, but we're not giving you any help anymore and we expect you to get it done. So how do you think the uh, children of God feel about Moses and Aaron now? Not too friendly, right? Like, what are you doing, man? You're making life harder for us. This isn't what we want. It's already hard, right? And this is what they say. This is what they say to Moses and Aaron. So what does Moses do? God, what's going on? (laughs) He goes and he says, it says, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on these people? (laughs) That's what God did. Why is it you, why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Like God, the plan didn't work. Right? Have you ever felt like that? The plan's not working. Let me give you a secret. It's always harder right before the end. This is a strategy of the devil, right? It always gets hard at the end because he doesn't want to let you go. Ask an addict. Ask any addict. It doesn't matter what kind of addict they are. Lust, drinking, drugs, nicotine. When is it hardest? Right before you're free. Why? Because he doesn't want to let you go. So he's going to try to convince you you're not going anywhere. Right? And this is the lesson. Did it last? No. It was temporary. God still delivered them. This was temporary. This is a strategy of the devil. And the Bible says, don't be ignorant of his devices or his strategies or his wiles. Any of those words. Right? It's temporary. It's meant to get you to stop and to give up. Right before you win. No, just keep believing. God will deliver you. God will deliver you. You keep doing what you know to do. You keep doing what's right. God will deliver you. It's often the hardest just before you're free, right? God is greater. God is greater. He's greater than the hardship. He's greater than the suffering. He's greater than the light affliction. He's greater. He will get you out. So, look what God speaks to Moses. I mean, I love this. God just goes off. Exodus 6, chapter 2. So, Moses goes to God and says, what are you doing, God? This is what God says. I am the Lord. Good reminder. (laughs) I'm the Lord. That word means God, only God, most high God, right? I'm the king of kings, Lord of lords. I am the only God. I am, God says. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them. I'm just going to go down what he says. I have established my covenant. I have heard the groanings. Therefore, I say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. I will take you as my people. I will be your God. I will bring you into the land which I swore to give you. I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. Praise God. He, I am, he says, I have, I will. He's your present, he was in the past, and he'll be in your future. No worries. God is God. Oh, man, that's so good. So, Moses goes and tells the people, like I'm telling you tonight. (laughs) 
and they reject him. Isn't that crazy? Hopefully that's not you. You're not sitting here not hearing what I'm saying. So they, he goes to the people of Israel, and they do not heed Moses, but because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. So there may be some of you sitting here tonight that are going through a really, really hard time. And you may be rejecting what I'm saying because you're so beat down. But if you will just take a minute, turn aside to the burning bush, right? What we're talking about tonight and hear from heaven. God is going to deliver you. He's going to deliver you. He is God. So it says, so then, um, so then the Lord speaks to Moses. Moses speaks to God. He's like, the people don't want to hear a word he has to say. So Moses goes to God, and God says, go in and tell Pharaoh. Well, what does Moses say to that? Look, the people won't even listen to me. How is Pharaoh going to listen to me? Because God's still about your job. It doesn't matter what other people have to say about what he's sending you to do. It doesn't matter if they agree or not. You still have a job to do. Remember, I remember Oral Roberts telling Kenneth Copeland, don't confer with flesh and blood. When you get the plan from God, don't confer with flesh and blood. Do whatever it takes to get it done. You obey, right? And so he says, go in and tell Pharaoh to let them go. And then Moses says, look, the the children of Israel didn't even heed me. How is Pharaoh going to heed me? Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out. Have you ever been complaining to the Lord? Maybe I'm the only one in here, but have you ever been complaining to the Lord? Like, Lord, you know, I'm trying to be and do what you want me to be and do, and Father, it's just not working. And, and then all of a sudden you get that booming voice that says, I said. And you're like, oh, yes, sir. Sorry I said anything. You know, you will get it done. God is giving you a command to get it done. He will give you the power to get it done. You will get it done. The bottom line is it usually requires faith. And not feelings. If he said to do it, just do it. Just believe it's going to work. You know, when he says, lay your hands on the sick and they'll recover, just believe it's going to work. That's all he's asking of you, is to believe and to do. That's it. The the actual hard part is his part, to heal them. (laughs) Right? But he needs you to do your part. When we do our part, he does his part. But we still have a part. Remember, God needs a man. God needs a man. So, in Exodus chapter 6, so Moses and Aaron have their command, right? So in Exodus chapter 6, it picks up in the same place that Moses says to the Lord, how is Pharaoh going to heed me? And look at Exodus 7, verse 1. So the Lord said to Moses, see I have made you as God to Pharaoh. Wow. See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. He says, see, like first you've got to see yourself as God's rep. When he gives you something to do, you are on assignment. You are working for God. It's as if God is doing it. You have to see yourself as his ambassador, his representative, working for him. You're an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. That's what the Bible tells us. 
You're on assignment. You have all of heaven backing you. See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. God is going to tell him what to say, and then God will work the works. Right? God is just going to tell him what to say, Moses is to say it, and then God is going to do the works. It's pretty simple. Pretty simple assignment for us. Most of the time, it's about our talking. It's about telling people about salvation, telling people about salvation, and then God does the work. You can't make somebody born again. All you can do is lead them to it, and then God does the work. I, I, I lay my, God tells me to lay my hands on Joseph so that he'll be healed and recover, but I don't reach in and heal his heart. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't reach in and heal his back. God does that part. I just do my part. I preach the gospel, the good news to people, and somehow they become new creatures. I don't do that. God does that. But I do my part. Right? So we have a part. So God's going to tell him what to say, and then God's going to work the works. And he says, and all will know that I am the Lord. And it all started with Moses speaking. Isn't that amazing? It all started with him being willing to speak on behalf of God. It says, after you get through this a little ways, and, you know, the plagues come and stuff like that, if you haven't read the story and you don't know the full story, I encourage you to read Exodus because it's so fascinating. It's amazing. And if you haven't read it in a while, go back and read it because the Holy Spirit's going to minister to you things like he did to me for this message that you didn't see the first time or you didn't see in children's church. So go back and read every word of it because it's amazing. But after these plagues start happening, in Exodus 11, verse 3, it says, The man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. Because Moses is going to go in there and he's going to say something and it's going to happen. See, you're God's rep. See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. I want you to understand something tonight. This is the point that I really want to make, and I'll have to do it really quick. You are gods. Gods. Apostrophe S. Anybody know what that represents? Possession. Possessive. That's the possessive case, right? You are gods. You belong to him, right? If you belong to him, you are gods. You belong to him, right? If you are gods, you are gods. If you are God's, you are God's. Because if you are God's, you're going to do what he says to do, and you're going to say what he says to say, and you're going to see awesome. You're God's. You're God's. If you are God's, then you are God's. In John chapter 10, in John chapter 10, Jesus actually says these words. He says in verse 25, the works that I do in my father's name, they bear witness of me. In verse 30, he says, I and my father are one. Then the Jews took up stones to stone him. And Jesus says, for what work are you going to stone me? And they say, for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them and said, is it not written in your law? I said, you are God's. 
If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture can't be broken, do you say of him who the father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I'm the son of God? Jesus says, Jesus quotes this verse, the Bible says you are gods. If, the, if he said we are gods, are we supposed to doubt that? Are we not supposed to listen to that? Is that not the word of God calling us you are gods? Jesus said. All in reference to the works that Jesus was doing. You are gods. You are gods. Because we all know Jesus always said, I only say what the Father says to say. I only do what the Father says to do. If you are gods, you are gods. If you are gods, if you're doing what he says, if he's your master, he's your Lord, you are gods. You are going to have the works of God evident in your life. This is how they will see you. See, I have made you a God to Pharaoh. This is how they will see you. This is how they will see you. Because the works will bear witness of you. In Kings, Elijah, in 1 Kings 17, 24, Elijah raises a widow's son. Do you know what her response was? Now I know you are a man of God. Because the works bear witness of us. Jesus said... In verse 37 and 38 of John chapter 10, the same chapter, if I do not do the works of my father, don't believe me. But if I do the works, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the father is in me and I in him. What do the works prove? God is. God is real. The works prove God is real. And it will set people free. It will absolutely set people free. But you have to remember that when you are God's, It's when you're God's. You are God's when you are God's. You can't go off like Moses did when he was 40 and try to do it his own way, even though he knew that was planned. You have to be God's. You have to get your words from God, your instructions from God, and then you are God's. We speak the words of God and God does the works. That's what Jesus said in John 14. Let's turn over there. John 14. The words, verse 10, the words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. So where is he getting his words? God. God. He's God's. The words I speak, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Jesus was saying the words, and God was doing the works. Some of us just need to step up and say the words. So God can do the works. That was the whole point of Moses. Is that that was the deliverer. You do the words, I'll do the works. There's a whole bunch of people waiting to be set free that need to hear the words. So that God can do the works. We have the words. We have the words. This psalm, this when Jesus quoted, does the law not say, you are God's? He was quoting Psalm 82. This is how Psalm 82 starts. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. In verse 6 it says, you are gods. These are the jobs of gods. You are gods. When you are gods. He's asking you to do what he's asking you to do. And he will do the works. But he needs us to step out and do what he's asking us to do. He said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. When Elijah prayed for that widow's son, do you know what he said? 
In 1 Kings 17, 24, this is what he said. Oh, Lord, my God, I pray, let the soul of this child come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. I know that Reverend Jesse Duplantis has been saying this year, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. Elijah asked for the soul of that child to come back to the child, and it came back, and he revived. Whatever you ask in my name, Jesus said, John 14, John 16, I will do it. Whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask in my name. Anybody seen that movie Breakthrough? Where that child falls through the ice and dies, like dies, like been dead minutes, like 15 minutes, half an hour, something like that. They work on him, they do they do all this, those compressions and everything. He never comes back to life. The mom finally gets to the hospital, walks in, he's dead. She is distraught. She is crying. And all of a sudden she beats that table and she says, God, by your Holy Spirit, bring life to my child. And the kid goes, <gasps> that's a true story. That's a true story from the day we live in. Anything you ask in my name, I'll do it. Is that exciting? I mean, I'm so excited. I know I'm not showing it, but I'm so excited. When you are gods, you are gods. You, they will see you this way. They will see you as his representatives. They will know there's a God in heaven. In John chapter 3, verse 2, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, We know that you come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. They will know God is with you by the signs that you do. John 9, 33, the man who was born blind and was healed said, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He could do nothing if he weren't from God. Look, guys, we're from God. We can do many things. We can't, we can't do nothing. We shouldn't be doing nothing. We're from God. If he weren't from God, if he were not from God, he could do nothing. So flip that around. If you're from God, you can do everything. With God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. If you are God's, then you are God's. I want to just end with these two verses. When I was reading through this, it just, I they just connected for me. So I hope they connect for you. But I'm going to read to you Deuteronomy 26, 8. And I'm going to compare it with Acts 4, 29 through 31. Deuteronomy 26, 8, Moses is recounting, and he says, The Lord brought us out with a mighty hand and outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. Acts 4, 29 through 31 says, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal. Both of them mention God stretching out his hand. He did it once, he'll do it again. He will stretch out his hand to do mighty, awesome things. That was their prayer in Acts chapter 4 at the beginning of the church. Did God do it? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He stretched out his hand and did mighty, it says mighty wonders by the hands of the apostles. Mighty miracles were wrought by the hands of the apostles. Mighty miracles. That's the plan for us. In the day we live in. It doesn't matter how dark it gets out there. It doesn't matter what they do to the church. You were born. (laughs) Moses was born at a time when they needed him. So were you. You were born at just the right time for the people of your generation to need you. 
So you've got to do your part. We do our part. He does his part. How do I know this? Peter got born again, right? We are born again. Peter got born again and he preached the gospel. He spoke what God gave him to speak. And 3,000 people were delivered from the hand of the enemy that day. 3,000 people got saved. 3,000 people were delivered from darkness into light. 3,000 from one sermon, from one man who was a nobody from nowhere, a fisherman. I mean, relate. I relate. I relate to that. God can do anything. Me and God can do anything. Remember when Pastor Justin taught on synergy? You and God, anything's possible. Us and God, this church and God, wow. Working together, that's what it's all about. Because when you are God's, you're God's. They will see you that way. See, I have made you as a God to them. They will see God because they will see you speak what he says to speak and he will do the works. Amen. So let's get out there and like Moses, do the works of the deliverer, right? Do the works and deliver them from the hand of the enemy. It's time to wreck Satan's world. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this message. Father, we are, oh, Father, it is so good. Father, thank you for bringing this to our remembrance. Thank you for the story that you said in your word, for our encouragement, for our motivation. Father, I thank you that we can use it for our life. Father, and I thank you that each person in here tonight goes out on fire like that burning bush that never goes out. Father, to do your will. There's nothing more important than your will being accomplished in the earth, Lord. Nothing more important. Father, I pray that, the, that Holy Spirit, you bring this message back to our remembrance when we run into people for the rest of this week. Father, any person that we would turn aside to hear, Father, is this somebody you want me to speak to? And Father, we would hear your voice and we would hear the plan. Father, I pray for gifts of the Spirit in operation, words of wisdom about people's life, words of knowledge, Father, that we would know their situation, speak to them about that situation, that they would marvel and that we'd be able to minister to them that you are real, that you care, and you can make a difference in their life. Father, I just thank you for the testimonies that are going to come from your word and from our lives. Father, we are believing for signs and wonders, marvels, manifestations of your greatness. And Father, we purpose tonight to do our part, to give up fear. Father, I come against that spirit of fear. I thank you that there is no fear in love. Holy Spirit, you said, the Bible says, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would shed abroad love in our hearts. Father, I pray that that love would overflow in our lives so that we will not be afraid, that we will care about people like you care about people and Father, they would be set free from the hand of the enemy. In Jesus' name. Father, we give you all the praise and glory because you are good and you are great. And there's nothing you can't do. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.